Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. You're here listening to Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, YouTube, all the heck with it. Uh, I would tell you to go to the name of the show, but right now my website seems to be down, but you can try it anyway, depending upon what browser you use. The name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess without the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Curtis, can you hear me? Curtis, can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? The jack in the wrong, <laughs> the wrong spot. But anyway, oh. I just finished watching oh. the comedy show, and um, it's called The Democrats Go Crazy, you know, over SCOTUS' um, <laughs> nomination. You ought to check it out after the show sometime. Oh, man. Um, it seems like Blog Talk Radio changed some of the stuff, so I, I don't see where we have the promote button anymore in the studio. So I don't know if this has gotten out to a lot of people. So we hope that people will start to show up. I know Sweet Sue had texted me. She was putting it out. So we'll see if we do have guests and listeners <laughs> to the show today. Oh, yeah. man, that's our my screw-up. Jeez, <laughs> got everything all set up, and I forget to, to pull my microphone down. we got a lot to talk about today. we got two fantastic guests. We have Ellis Washington. Uh, he has the Ellis Washington Report. He is a fantastic a constitutional law professor, as well as uh, having his own blog, uh, the uh, Ellis Ellis Washington Report. Uh, he also has a great ministry uh, called Salt and Light Global. We'll be talking to him about the SCOTUS pick. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh has been uh, nominated as the next Supreme Court. And we're going to go through that, uh, Zoo, with that. We'll talk to him about that. Also, Dan Perkins, always a show favorite. He's got songs and stories for patriots. Uh, he's got several books out, the Red Nile series. Uh, he also has the really fantastic book out, Why Doesn't Grammy Remember Me Anymore? Um, so Dan Perkins will be joining us also. want to welcome those that are listening in on Facebook as well as YouTube and those that are in our chat room. And as I said, I tried to pull up my own page on Firefox and it seems that uh, something's been reconfigured. I don't know what, but my page is saying that it's <laughs> it's a virus. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So the trolls managed to pull down my home page, and I'll t- try to figure out how to get it back up. Anyway, a lot to do, Curtis, a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Those oh, yeah. that listen to our show. 
uh, know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to police officer Christopher Ryan Morton of the Clinton Police Department in Missouri. His end of tour was Tuesday, March 6th of this year. And this is from Fox News by Ryan Gatos. And he reads, A Missouri police officer who was killed while responding to a 9-11 call Tuesday night on March 3rd had just returned to full-time duty to replace a recently fallen officer in his department, officials said. Clinton police officer Kristen Christopher Ryan Morton's death comes after at least 20 officers have died in the line of duty since the start of 2018. Morton, 30, was shot and killed when he and two other officers responded to a 9-11 call at a home located 75 miles outside of Kansas City, Missouri, State Highway Patrol said. Morton joined the Army National Guard in November of 2005. He had been with the Clinton Police Department from February 2015 to January 2017. He stayed on as a reserve officer, but returned to full-time duty in the summer after fellow officer Gary Michael was shot and killed during a traffic stop in August. Clinton, Missouri Police Officer Christopher Ryan Morton served with distinction for the citizens of Clinton as a full-time officer from February 12, 2015 until January 10th of 2017. He stayed with the department as reserve officer until he returned again to full-time duty on September 24th of 2017. It read, hashtag Clinton PD, Missouri State Highway Patrol tweeted. Sergeant Bill Lowe said early the next day that three officers responded to a call where two women were heard screaming in the background on late Tuesday night, March 6th. The suspected shooter, identified as James E. Waters, 37, opened fire from inside the home while the officers attempted to apprehend the individual. Morton was fatally shot, while the two other officers were wounded and taken to the hospital. The officers were identified by police as Nathan Benacourt and Nicholas Casper. Benacourt was said to be in stable condition as he recovers from surgery for his injuries while Casper had already been released from the hospital. It's a small department, Lowe said. It's small enough that you know each other, each individual officer, and the community knows each of us. And it's hard to put into words when you're talking about an agency of this size. A community of this size where something tragic like this happens just seven months ago. A SWAT team entered the home at 12.10 a.m. on Wednesday and found Waters dead. It's unclear how he died. Waters was arrested in November of 2017 for unlawful possession of a controlled substance. The women in the house at the time were not injured and were taken into custody. Morton's death marks the second Clinton police officer to die in the line of duty in the last seven months, Fox 4 KC reported. It's just another tragic event for this community, and especially this police department. They endured a lot. They're going to endure more, Lowe told Fox 4. Missouri Representative Vicki Hartzler tweeted her condolences to the Morton family. Grieving for the families and the officers of the Clinton Police Department, who lost another one of their own last night in the line of duty, Officer Christopher Ryan Morton gave the hashtag 
ultimate sacrifice, Hartzler tweeted. The Republican congresswoman added, two others injured. It's seven months to the day when Clinton officer Gary Michael was killed. I met with the department last year after that incident. They're an amazing, professional, dedicated, and caring unit. My prayers are with them all. Hashtag thin blue line. Hashtag no greater love. And this is from Nick Sloan and Emily Rittman from KCTV5. Along with serving his community in Clinton, Officer Christopher Ryan Morton served his country. For eight years, Morton served in the Missouri Army National Guard. He served as a combat engineer with the 110th Maneuver Enhancement Brigade in Kansas City and served as a bridge crew member of the, of the 1438 Multi-Role Bridge Company in Macon. He was deployed to Kosovo from 2008 to 2009, Afghanistan from 2013 to 2014, and was involved in two emergency mis- missions in Missouri. Rusky Plaskett was Morton's roommate overseas. He said they remained in touch after switching to different units. He was a model soldier, Plaskett said. He was a guy that always reached out. He had a bond, and that bond crossed over all the ranks. He was well-liked. Plaskett said he could always rely on Morton and was not surprised when he chose to become a police officer. He just had the mindset for it, he said. He wanted to serve. That's why he joined the Guard instead of going active duty. He wanted to serve his people, the community. He said he's still in disbelief about the shooting that claimed his friend. It's heartbreaking to know that you go overseas and fight for your country, for everyone's freedom, and you come home and get killed by your own people, he said. He was an outstanding officer and served this department with distinction, remaining a reserve police officer with Clinton, the medical center said in a Facebook statement. Those of us who were fortunate enough to have known and worked with Chris found a loyal friend and an honorable and completely professional police officer. He truly appreciated the opportunity to work with veterans but felt that Clinton's need was greater. Police Officer Morton, stand down. Police Officer Morton, you are end of tour. Police Officer Morton, job well done. Rest now, job well done. Today's show is dedicated to Police Officer Christopher Ryan Morton. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of our nation through today and into the future. We dedicate to them this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one. Yeah. 
Try to go to our webpage. It seems to be down on Facebook. Uh, but uh, of course, your fingers just hit Southern Sense with a dash in the middle, Southern Hyphen Sense. I'm your hostess, if I'm host, Richard Annie, along with my co host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, as we wait for our first guest to call in, where is big breaking story last night? Uh, a new kick for SCOTUS. Yeah, I got a chance to. Um catch that um, nomination on um, Fox, of course. I really don't know much about um, the nominee, but anybody that's on that list, you know, I'll go for. It's like uh, I was telling telling my wife, I will go with our worst nominee versus the um, liberals' best. And I know all our guys are, you know, superior, very intelligent people. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I did a quick, quick little look at, you know, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and um, he seems to be fair, all right? Uh, But, you know, there's something, I don't know know how to say it, but there's something in my gut that says he's not going to be 100% conservative. He'll be more along the lines of Judge Kennedy. Will be like you know, a swing vote too. in many cases. I get that feeling. Yeah. Uh, and, right. And I guess it's because um, of a decision he made um, concerning Obamacare, and that's what got me a little concerned. But we'll see. Yeah, because uh, he was the one that ruled that it can be called a tax. In Obamacare, if you read the actual bill, it states, it literally states in the bill, this tax is not a tax. Now, how if you can call something a tax and then tell it's not a tax? That I thought that was Mm -hmm. hysterical. Uh, But then again, not only only that, his his ties to the Bush family has me concerned too. (sighs) Yeah. I think he'll be more, a lot more along the lines of Kennedy, which would probably make him more palatable to some of the swing Democrats in red states. I think what, what uh, uh, Trump has done is given a lot of Democrats an out where they can vote for him. 
whereas Barrett would have been too hardcore conservative. But looks like and we I do have, have our guest in on the line. <laughs> we have our guest in on the line, so let's welcome the Honorable Ellis Washington. Good afternoon, Mr. Washington. How do you do today? Hi, Annie. How are you? It's so nice to talk to you again. It's been such a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, I have to apologize. It has been, and I'm remiss. You know, I started putting all my contacts into a phone book, handwriting them in, and I'm looking at it going, oh, my God, all these people I've had on the show. Can you believe it's been over eight years now? And I, I thought it was so around many. that time. I was trying to just guess. I thought it was about 10, but eight, that's still too long. But I think we'll correct that, Now we'll make sure we'll be in touch. <laughs> Well, I'm going to hold my clipboard up in front of the camera so people can see up on Facebook and YouTube that I'm not kidding, but I literally have two pages of notes for you and Dan Perkins, uh, just all handwritten notes on questions to talk to you about. Uh, but, geez, you are all over the place. God bless you for the hard work you do, but you've got out there your blog, The Ellis Washington Report, and I'm assuming that's your son, Stone, that works with you on it. That's correct. Yeah, he's my website administrator and the managing editor. Well, maybe I ought to get a hold of Stone because someone, a troll, took my website down. I just went to put it up today, and I see uh-huh. it's down, and I keep getting this error message that's saying it's a corrupt, bad site, <laughs> bad, bad me. Oh, so the troll you know what that means, Annie? That means that you're you're getting too big for your britches. I think you're like in the top 15 uh, top uh, conservative radio hosts in america and congratulations to that I, I saw that on the internet and so by you making that top 20 that's the danger zone for the left and they're going to come at you with all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff i can hardly put three tweets in a row anymore without it saying uh your account is canceled you have to put in this code to get back on i'm like for what i'm just sharing information <laughs> Well, I know that feeling because I had uh, the um, fan page to the show attached to my personal page under my name, Annie Bellis. And somehow or other, it got unattached, and it got attached to a different page I managed for my local tea party. And the two of them are attached to two completely different emails. So I don't understand how it got unattached from my personal page and moved over to my tea party page. Explain that. I know, I know. That's a hard one to explain. It's a lot of, um, I don't know if you listen to uh, Alex Jones. You know, he's a radio guy, but, you know, he's got a TV program and things like that. And they just, I mean, he's got, he was sued like 20 times. I think he's dismissed 10 of the lawsuits. Totally frivolous, just designed to keep him you know, to, uh, keep them unfocused and to get tangled up with this foolishness by the left so that he won't be able to alert the, you know, America and the world about globalism and the, the tyranny of the Democrat Party. Yeah, InfoWars. Uh, I, I, yeah, InfoWars, Alex Jones' InfoWars. As a matter of fact, we have a friend That's of right. ours, a friend of the show that appears a lot on his show, uh, matter of fact, we had him on recently. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And right now I've got a kitten I'm going to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> she likes to play with the cord. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we had an announcement last night of the new uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. 
And just before you, you called in, Curtis and I, you know, there's a gut feeling in me that he's going to be more along the lines of Kennedy than along the lines of Alito. What's your feeling on Brett Kavanaugh? You know, I, he wasn't my first choice, I'll admit. You know, when it got down to the four, I was for the, the lady, Amy uh, Coney Barrett. Uh, I didn't know much about this guy, and the more I read, the more red flags was coming up about him. Uh, what's his name, Brett? What's his last name? Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, right. That's right, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, the more I read about him, the the more red flags came up, Annie. And the, and the reason why is, I mean, I was saw him with pictures embracing uh, Carl Rove, you know, Carl Rove has done a lot of mischief against Trump, and uh, Trump is my guy. And I know, you know, Rove is connected with the Bushes, and so if he's connected so deeply with the Bushes and all of their shenanigans with the deep state and shadow government, I knew by extension, you know, birth of a, a feather flock together, Kavanaugh owes his career to the Bushes, and I, I was just a little bit nervous. But then I looked at his record a little bit more deeply, and he's pretty much a solid conservative or constitutionalist, you're never going to get anybody that's 100% on everything you believe in because then, you know, the next conservative is going to say, well, what about this or what about that? So I'll, I'm going to give him a chance. Um, he, he, he did clerk for Kennedy, who, whom he's replacing. And now there's word, I don't know if you've heard this, that uh, Trump apparently had a secret deal with Justice Anthony Kennedy, the judge that, that he's going to be replacing to replace him with, you know, but one of his clerks. And so that's not illegal, but it's just a little bit of uh, inside baseball background information that probably helped Trump pick this guy. But I do think that if Ginsburg leaves next, that he was probably going to use um, Annie Coney Barrett, who's a, the most solid of the four finalists of a conservative She's real strong, and I think it would be nice to replace a woman with a woman, although I wish she had been the one that uh, President Trump had picked yesterday. No, I, I also like Amy Comey Barrett very, very much. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't have enough experience at this point to, for us to look at her record. She just recently got appointed to the district court. So, you know, once you start seeing her rulings coming in and what her opinions are, you know, it's a little bit easier for us to determine exactly where she falls on the line. But I do like her. I like her solid. And even the fact that they went after her for her Roman Catholic faith and the way she stood strong, uh, that that made me proud. Now, I have to admit, I was yeah. raised Roman Catholic. I'm now Anglican, but I still stand by yeah. my Christian faith. No, I understand. I, I know what you mean. And I, I have a lot of respect for uh, the, the Catholic Church. I, I'm a Protestant, but, uh, you know, like some of the doctrines that I, I've been writing on for years, a lot of them um, were developed and originated with the, with the Catholic Church, like natural law, natural rights, things like that. And so uh, I got respect for her for that, you know, for trying to hold to the original understanding of the Constitution and don't deviate from the text of the Constitution with your own personal policy preferences. And so I've written about that, those kind of things for 30 years. And it's just so nice. Um, and I think I sent you, uh, I think I copied you on this uh, latest project that I was working on trying to 
basically I feel like John the Baptist, just a, a voice shouting out in the wilderness against these elitists at these uh, uh, Ivy League schools, these law professors and stuff. I've been telling them for years what was coming, that they need to get out of their ivory towers. There's going to be a change coming. And then, you know, they just laughed at me or ignored me. And then two years ago, Trump got elected. Nobody believed he would do it. But I believe, because I believed in him 30 years ago when um, – he was uh, he was talked about to be a, a running mate for uh, George H W Bush. I don't know if you knew about that. That that was 30 years ago that it was uh, that they were talking about him doing that. But of course George H W Bush didn't have the vision and picked um, a, a nobody named Dan Quayle, who ironically went to the same college I went to, DePaul University in Indiana. But despite him being uh, my my uh, colleague in college. I just knew that was a bad move, and if, if he had picked Trump 30 years ago, just imagine how much better the America and the world would have been. He probably would have had George H. Bush, uh, Bush a little bit more conservative than he actually ended up being, and a lot less of a globalist, but uh, that's probably why they didn't choose him, because they yeah, had exactly. their own exactly. deep state agenda. Because, uh, yeah, I was Even aware back that then. Trump was up. Yeah, even back then, even though uh, being a ex-New Yorker, I lived in New York State when Trump was coming up, and, and you know, here I am, you know, the rich kid, silver spoon, and type of thing, and his antics back then. So you never knew where he stood on the political line, even though he was a frequent guest at the Reagan White House, which very few people yeah. were aware of. That you know, yeah. he was a, a confidant of Ronald Reagan at some point. Yes, and Reagan, I don't know, do you know the story about this, Annie, that uh, that one famous picture, there was that some kind of uh, big White House banquet, and they both, Reagan and Trump, looking just, you know, like they just jumped off of a fashion magazine with the tuxedos. And I think this was the first yep. time that they had met. And right after he shook his hand, he turned to his aide and said, that's going to be the future president. Now, see, you don't say something like that. I mean, that's almost biblical you know, for you to get that kind of a vision from touching somebody. But sometimes God has to go beyond our, you know, our normal finite realm into the, the deep, mysterious recesses of the metaphysical realm to show us things in the future. Like, and so when he shook his hand, he, he probably has shaken hundreds of people's hands, but he only said that statement to uh, Trump. And then – before that, uh, Annie, uh, a few years before, I think this was in the 70s, the early 70s, he had been in touch with Nixon. And um, the wife, uh, Nixon that we called after the meeting, that his wife said, uh, you know, Richard, that's the future president. That's going to be a future president. So here we have two different scenarios. And there's been other people, uh, you know, Christians that didn't even know him, just nobodies that said, God had given them a revelation. I think one guy spoke about it, I think, in 2011. He prophesied that Trump was going to be the president. And it's just, it's just amazing. And so here it is. Even my, my latest, uh, not my latest, but my 10th book, I wrote 11 books. My 10th book is called The Progressive Revolution. This is volume five of a series that I did. And, and the subtitle is called History of Liberal Fascism Through the Ages. So I guess that's why Harvard didn't want to really invite me to join the faculty <laughs> here when I'm writing stuff like that. You think? I don't I don't bite my tongue and it's too many people 
biting their tongue and trying to maneuver for a position. We got enough of those quizlings. We need some people that's going to stand for truth. And so I've sacrificed. I've, I've you know, you know, sacrificed my my academic career. And uh, without my loving wife, I would definitely be homeless and in poverty right now because I've been blacklisted by the academy. But I'm still going strong. And so in my book, Annie, as I was finishing it, I was at Stanford University. Um, this was um, in 2000, the summer of 2016. My son had fortunate enough to get a, 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 a program, to participate in a program there uh, at, the, at the law school. And so I was in this beautiful, uh, I think it's the student center building there, putting the finishing touches on my book. And I say, well, Lord, who should I, 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 I'm feeling that your Holy Spirit is telling me to dedicate this book to Trump. And so this was like in May, this was May, 2016. Even this was months before that, you know, that embarrassing thing came out to him about the bus with uh, Neil Bush and, you know, they're, you know, having kind of male conversations, but it wasn't very nice conversations about mm. about uh, women and things like that that almost sunk his um, his nomination. So this was months before that even happened. So this was in May, and, and the guy just in a, in a nice, soft voice, kind of like how I'm talking to you right now, just said, dedicate the book to Trump, and I did. And this was before he won the election or, or anything. And so I said, well, Lord, if he doesn't get it, my book is forever going to look really stupid. And, not, you know, dedicating a book to Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. That's, that's, the, that's the dedication that I put in there. And then uh, he won. And I say, thank you, Lord. I'm glad I listened to you eight months before. So that's what I did. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we've had – we had a previous guest on who also happened to have been a reverend and he was a never Trumper. And his statement was, well, Trump is a sinner. And I said, well, look yeah. at the apostles. Each and every one of them was a sinner. And the greatest of the apostles, Paul actually right. persecuted uh, them, yeah. actually killed them. Really? So you, you tell me that God doesn't choose sinners to do his work? And that, that my final thing yeah. to him was, is who are you to say that you know God's will? Who are you to say right. that God would never work through a sinner when there's example after example in the Bible of working exactly through sinners, not through pure saints? But well, Annie, what did he say to that? I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 I was just saying that's true. <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah, he actually uh, had no response to it. What did he say? He actually had that no response. That was so response. beautiful, and oh, I would love to to hear. If you got a recording, it I would love to hear that. That was, I couldn't have said it any better. That was beautiful because see, and and I guess you know I'm gonna make a confession to you and your listeners, but and I and I'm I feel bad for this, and I'm I'm going to say please don't follow my 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 thing, but I was a Christian, and but I fell off uh, after Obama won. In uh, November 2012, and I was going to a church of the minister who was the best friend of Obama minister. Remember Dr. Jeremiah Wright? Do you oh, remember him, oh, yeah. Dr. Jeremiah Wright? Oh, yeah. Well, his best friend was my pastor. I was going to a church in Detroit, Hartford Memorial Baptist Church, pastored by Dr. Charles Adams. And I was like, man, so, you know, Frequently, when I would go to the sermons, they're talking about Obama and and these glowing terms. I knew was a lie, and and then that the add insult to injury, 
Jeremiah Wright came <laughs> one Sunday with four busloads of his members in choir. I'm like, and he just was speaking so much blasphemy and lies, and the people were just saying amen. And so right after that, Obama won re-election in November 2012, and I was like, Lord, and I, and I stopped going to church. And that was wrong, and I apologize. I did start going back last week with my son, so I feel real feel much better now, and I'm going to keep going because I shouldn't let, uh, you know, going to a bad church make me stop going to church because then I'm giving more power to the enemy than to the power of God. Just find another church that's, you know, preaching the word of God. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly what my husband and I, oh, just for a second, Curtis, husband and I did for a long time. You know, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I saw the progressive bent of the Catholic Church the way it was going back in the 70s. And I was married to my first husband in the Catholic Church, and I had even taught Sunday school, catechism school, to uh, five and six and seven-year-olds. But I, I broke off from the Catholic Church because I saw things that just were not right and were not biblical teachings. And then when we moved here to South Carolina, you know, one day my husband and I said, well, let's start going back. So I went again to the Catholic Church, still saw the same thing happening, and not as bad as what I saw in New York, but still saw it happening, and we stepped away. And then we found the Anglican Church here in South Carolina. It was built in 1712. It's the second oldest Anglican Church, but it it stayed true to the Christian conservative catechism. It stayed very true to it. And now here in South Carolina, as well as, of course, the nation, you're seeing churches actually splitting apart because one side stays with the Bible and the teachings, and the others go the way of Jeremiah Wright. So it's it's happening all across the United States, and we are in an epic battle for the very life of our property. We may lose, possibly tomorrow, all of our property in this legal fight that we're going through. So if you ever check out, uh, Googling out the South Carolina Episcopal and Anglican Church, uh, it has gone through, it has been sent from the Supreme Court back down to our state court, and we're waiting to see what's going to go on with that. But as it stands now, the very building that was built in 1712, the the very building that uh, Sherman burned, that you saw in the movie of Gone with the Wind, that is our Serenity Chapel. That's over here in the Embassy, South Carolina. We could lose that, too. So wow, all this, that's amazing. That's, a, that's incredible. Curtis, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Ellis. Um, <laughs> it is a very battle. Go ahead, Curtis. Trump, Trump has um, touched the hearts and minds of a lot of people in a lot of different communities, um, and that includes the black community. What do you think he needs to do to further his appeal and solidify, you know, his standing in the black community? Yes. Um, I think what he's doing, one thing about black people, you know, I'm black. I came up up in the ghettos of Detroit in the 60s. One thing I learned about growing up around people in the streets, I was one step away from the streets in my younger years, is that, you know, it, just regular people, they know when you're real, and they know when you've just given them a load of you-know-what. And so I think Trump Trump is just not – you see how comfortable he is with black people. Remember when he was uh, – I think it was just before he got elected, he came to Detroit with uh, Ben Carson, and they went to his church. They went to his old neighborhood. 
people was coming up to him, shaking his hand. They just love him. Now, how many billionaire white guys do you know that would be so able to just be so friendly with black people like that? Because it's not an act. It's real. It comes from his father. His father was building houses for, you know, middle middle to low-income people back in the uh, 60s and 70s. And Trump, as a young man, was with his father learning the building trade. And so he was used to being around blacks, Hispanics, just, you know, uh, poor people, middle-class people, and just having an affinity. So I think to answer your question, Curtis, just keep being real. Just be real. Keep reaching out. Try to bring, you know, some of us that want to work in this uh, administration, uh, bring us aboard so we can go out to the, all the cities and say, hey, what have the Democrats been doing for you for 50, 60, 70 years? Are you happy with it? If not, why don't you look another way? Like Trump said many, many times, and this makes the left mad, what the hell do you have to lose? Why don't you come with me? And we can help things get better. Already, Curtis, we see Trump ain't been in office two years yet. And employment is better for blacks, better than any time in history. The unemployment rate is lower than any time in history. Now, a few weeks ago, I heard the Hispanics have joined that wonderful statistic. They got the lowest unemployment rate at any time in history, and it's all due to the pro-American uh, America first policies of President Trump. And, you know, sadly, yeah, they are being still fed um, misinformation by the left-wing media that, you know, all this prosperity now is somehow the result of um, Obama's policies. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not sure how that could be. He he has never, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gotten the um, the nation above 3%, you know. Right. And... and that- and and they still listen to these lies, you know. It just infuriates me that they listen to the same toxic poison from the media. Right. And, you know, Curtis, it, it's hard, man. I'm not sure if you were just talking to you. I, I, I've never met you before, but you, 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 you sound very rational. You sound like a conservative. I'm a conservative. And I became a conservative about 35 years ago when I was a senior in college. And... What it was, it was just like, a, the only way I can explain it is just like almost like a spiritual awakening, coming, a coming to Jesus moment where I, I, it was the end of Reagan's first term, uh, 1982, and I was listening to some of his speeches, and then I was trying to align that with what I was hearing in my family. You know, my whole family, that was a typical black family. Most of them were Democrats, and I was like, man, this just don't seem right. I know they're saying, you know, Reagan is this and that, but this guy's sounding good. He sounds like he's preaching prosperity for everybody, Americana, uh, coming back out of the doldrums of uh, what Jimmy Carter had put America through. How can you oh, be yeah. against that? And so I did my own, um, you know, research, uh, Curtis, and on Christmas Day, 1982, I made that jump to the, the, the Republicans. And then later on I found out black people were conservatives from the beginning. The first conservative, the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, ran on an anti-slavery, pro-abolitionist platform. And I was like, wow, so that has changed my whole understanding of history, who was for us, 
way back when, who's been against us, undermining us way back when, and even now. And so all we got to do, Curtis, I know it's frustrating, but just keep keep preaching, keep posting, tweeting, Facebooking. If you see somebody in the street, strike up a conversation with them, a young person. I, I heard a young lady on Fox, uh, I think she was on this morning, and if you go to my Twitter account at, at Ellis Washington, just, just put in Ellis Washington on Twitter, I, I posted it. Uh, her name is, uh, her last name is Okafor. I can't remember her first name, but she was a very beautiful young black woman, a millennial, who said, yeah, basically. I know, I know who you're talking about. You saw that? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she said how she came to be a, a, a Trump supporter. And, um, and it was tied in with her Christian faith. A lot like me, maybe even like your your testimony, Curtis. And it's like, wow. And it was so beautiful. She, she was just off only about three and a half minutes. But what she said in those few minutes was so powerful because she was like, when I became a Christian eight years ago, God he was working on my heart and I was in the word of God. And then I started looking at issues, po- po- politics, and I was saw what the Democrats were talking about, pro-abortion, uh, you know, handouts from the government enslaving us to socialism, and I saw what Trump was talking about freeing us from socialism, slave chains, and letting us work with the uh, with the you know the power of our hands and our mind, and being all that you can be. And she said mm-hmm. that resonated with me. That Trump message resonated with me. And she said after voting for Obama for two terms, she voted both times in 2008 yeah. and 2012. She voted for Trump. And she hasn't looked back, and she's very happy. Yeah. Her name is uh, Antonia. Thank you. Antonia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Curtis. Yeah, so please, okay, people, fine. if you want, I posted it on my Twitter account. It's um, at Ellis Washington, and it'll pop right up. You'll see it right at the top of my page. And please share with other people, especially those that, uh, you know, seem like they are kind of confused and they need to know more about, politics to, to, to follow the right path. And I'm not saying this, uh, Curtis and ladies and gentlemen of the Southern Sense radio program, I'm not working for Trump. I don't get like a dollar for every convert I bring to the Republican Party. But this is a, this is more than politics. This is about life. This is about, you know, being able to make it in this world without feeling bitter and hateful towards somebody else because of the color of their skin. This is about Americana, about freedom, liberty, natural law, natural rights, the original intent of the constitutional framers, which Jefferson talked about in the Declaration of Independence, where he says uh, uh, that that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not the pursuit of abortion, not the pursuit of uh, welfare, not the pursuit of uh, getting over on people and abusing people and using people, pitting one racial group against another. That's what the Democrats have specialized in, and people are getting woke and and rejecting that. And um, thank God they are, and Trump is leading the way. Well, you know, there's a a movement that just started with this one guy, Brandon Straka, who posted up a YouTube video, and it's a powerful, powerful video. And here he was, he was a self-proclaimed liberal his entire life. But for some reason, he saw the change. He saw that the Democrats were abusing and using. So he did a powerful, powerful video, and he started the walk away, hashtag walk away. 
And I was watching yeah. his video uh, last night or the night before. And then, you know how YouTube, once you get one video, another one along the same line pops up. Video after video after video was popping up with people supporting the walk away movement from all different walks of life. But the vast majority yeah. were being posted by black men. I'm telling yeah. you, everyone is now getting the word out. Conservatives do not divide you. We do not say that you are a victim. If anything, we say, no, you are in control of your own destiny as you choose it. You make choices. You're responsible for your choices, yes, but it is your choice to make. Don't be a victim. Do something about it. If you're down and out, find a way to get out. We'll help you. We'll give you the hand up. We will not give you the hand out. And people are yes. getting the message. And, and you, when you're a victim, you're always down. You're always depressed. And I think people are tired of feeling down and depressed. Why are conservatives yeah. and Republicans physically and mentally healthier than the progressives? Because we don't accept defeat. We keep fighting. And that's the difference. Yeah. Exactly. That's very beautifully said, Annie. And um, I just want to just tell, because I know you got people from all walks of life listening to your radio show. You've got Democrats. You've got Republicans. You've got Independents. you probably got Green Party. People want to just know the truth. And we're not just here you know, this pushing uh, a Republican agenda because I got my beast with the Republicans because all my life I've been reaching out to them and just got nothing. And Trump, you know, as soon as I sent them some books and stuff like that, I immediately got responses back. And um, I'm hoping that one day I'll get to meet them and work for his administration because I want to just put my all in to help this country, not not say this country for a political party, because political parties are just institutions that can be corrupted, you know, but for real substantive change where people transcend political parties, transcend corrupted institutions of man to be like you was talking about, be all that they can be, not be victims, to be overcomers, to be champions, to be you know, uh, Americana and, and just have a, a wonderful life, but you can't do it if you're wallowing in defeat, wallowing in failed policies of man that's designed to put slave chains on you rather than to make you be free. You know, it's funny because my older brother happens to be a liberal. Everyone has, should have at least one in the family so you have a sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> anyway, he's probably yes, listening. I have one too. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he was in a fight with my parents, and he, he shouted out, I didn't ask to be born. And I stopped, stopped yeah. still at that moment, and I felt like cracking up. I said, really? Yeah. Are you going to pull that? Has anyone raised their hand and said, please let me be born? Has anyone right. in the world ever made that choice? No, it was God's choice to create your life. What you do with it is your choice. No one, no one except our Lord Christ asked to be born. Because he asked to take on the pains of us. He's the only person. That's right. Right? Yes. yes. No in, one in, in every the, person in the world is a victim because we didn't ask to be born. Right. <laughs> really? And, you know, on another, on a similar point, you know, you see these young kids, a lot of them millennials or generation XYZ, they, you know, right, right when Trump was going to pick up, uh, you know, the, the, the judge, uh, Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, they already have their signs made up. They let, let you know that they're just 
all controlled by higher powers, probably some entity of the George Soros um, Open Society Foundation, because that he's the one that's usually behind just about every evil thing that's going on in society. That man is literally a Nazi. Oh, he, His first job as a teenager was at, uh, at, to help uh, find where Jews were. He told the Nazis where Jews were, and then so they can confiscate their 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 all of their possessions and send them to concentration camp. And he said he that was his happiest time in his life. George, this is George Soros as and a teenager. He, I mean, that guy, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, but wasn't he also born to a Jewish family? Yes, he's Jewish, definitely, I, exactly. But he, yeah. sold, he sold out his own people, he said, to save his own life. But that's not a justification for it. If we was in slavery time... And I said, oh, uh, Curtis, Curtis was, uh, had run away from his plantation, and I went to my master and said, Master, uh, Curtis is over there hiding in the woods. That, that makes me just as bad as the slave owner. To, 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 you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To, uh, to, to, to tell on somebody like that. And that, that's the equivalent of what George Soros did to his own people. He would point out where the Jews were in, uh, this was in, in Hungary, and they would confiscate their goods and then put them on the trains, sent them to concentration camps. And he said that was the happiest time of his life. And it's like, wow, man, that that, well, that guy, he's going to have a lot to answer for on Judgment Day. Uh, you know what, Alice? Absolutely. <laughs> I hope he's like I think, far uh, away. <laughs> I yes. think uh, America would be more enlightened and better off if if we um, had more exposure to um, the teachings and lessons that um, you yourself, you know, have, have shared Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, you know, especially yeah. in certain community, minority communities. I, I don't think they get to hear our side enough right. or at all. And I think well, if I they appreciate- were to listen to, to people like yourself, and Walter Williams and and Thomas Sowell, I think they they would get a different perspective of America and a more positive one. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm hoping uh, with my new my renewed uh, association with Annie and her wonderful radio program Southern Sense that you know perhaps you feel free uh, Annie if you want to link to my my law blog Ellis Washington Report. It has literally thousands of uh, articles on there on every possible subject from law to history to foreign policy, politics, religion, economics, sociology, anything you can think of, philosophy. I go into, a matter of fact, uh, um, Curtis and Annie, uh, God put on my heart. You know, I don't know if you know, like in big libraries you go to, they got these books called Great Books of Western uh, Civilization that were put out by the University of Chicago back in the 50s, and they start with the early philosophers like uh, Aeschylus, Sophocles, uh, Euripides, and then they move toward uh, uh, Plato, Aristotle, all the way through, you know, Shakespeare and Gibbons, all the great writers through history, and it's like 55 volumes. Well, God put on my heart to take each of those volumes and do an essay on them. Sometimes I do multiple essays in contemporary form where I take the works of Shakespeare or the works of Plato or the works of uh, Socrates and do essays 
to show how their ideas would have translated in contemporary times. And those are also on my website. Well, actually, there is a link on our show page. And, you know, Ellis, the majority of people that listen to the show listen to the podcast in the archives later on. So as they're listening, they just look at the description, click on the link that takes them directly to the EllisWashingtonReport.com. It also has a link to your Salt and Light Global also. And if they want to listen to the archives of the Joshua Trail, they can listen to that also. So all three links are up on the show description. We've become very sophisticated here. Yes, I see. Wow. I mean, talk about you you speak it and it shall come to pass. Thank you so much. And like I said, I'm a friend of Southern Sense, even though I've been away from you for eight years. And anytime you want to have me on, I'm just a phone call away. And I would would love to be on and and speak to uh, particularly the young people and just show them, you know, if you're not happy with your life, with the politics, that, you know, there's a better way. There's an alternative that can really help you to fulfill your destiny, your God-ordained destiny, and help you be uh, what you need to be to have a happy and successful life. Well, you know, I, I think at this point um, the left has overplayed their hand with these these massive attacks against individuals, whether or not they're walking across a plaza like uh, Mitch McConnell was doing yesterday or if you're sitting in a restaurant or going through a grocery store, the attacks on individuals simply because of their political bent. You know, the one kid that had was assaulted in a restaurant with his buddy and had his Make America Great Again hat snatched off with him and his buddy had a Coke or something thrown in his face. That guy that assaulted him is behind bars right now and is facing two, up to two years in jail. But the attacks, the assaults, and what we saw outside of SCOTUS yesterday, prior to any announcement, uh, already attacking whoever the nominee is, not even knowing what the nominee actually stands for. I think they've overplayed their hand. The violence and the vitriol is hitting middle America, mainstream America, saying, this is not what we're about. We're supposed to be a melting pot. We're supposed to be the United States of America. We're not supposed to be just right. left and right hurling punches and sodas and everything at each other. I think that's not what it is to be a human being. This is animalistic behavior. And it's, it's, a, it's a specific plan, Annie, that the left is doing. Um, uh, Obama and I, we're the same age, okay? He's about, I think, about six weeks older than I am. We were born the same year, 1961. We And I later found out when I was at Harvard 30 years ago, uh, we were actually at Harvard Law for a, about a, a semester. I took some class. I was studying history, but I took some classes in law at that time, and I looked up his biography and said, oh, man, he was there at the same time. But I don't remember him. I probably played basketball with him. But I bring up Obama because back in the day, before he went to Harvard in the early 80s, he was um, – what they call a community organizer. And the godfather of community organizing, the guy that literally wrote the book on community organizing, which is leftist radicalism, is a guy, is a guy named Saul Alinsky. You probably heard of him. Yep. And he wrote his book. Yep, he wrote his book. Yep. He wrote his book in 1971 called Rules for Radicals. And rule number 12 is the most famous where he says, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. And that summarizes like throwing coke on somebody, taking their 
uh, Make America Great Again hat, hitting people. And like that poor uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was at that restaurant in Virginia, and then that evil woman, the owner, uh, got her coworkers to run her out. And then if that wasn't terrible enough, when she's walking down the street with her family, her little kids, to go to another restaurant, they followed them and were shouting epithets and vile things at them while she's trying to go to another restaurant. So you see, you can't please these these bullies. You just have to attack them and don't back down from them, and hopefully the law will fall down on your side. But don't, you know, when they're trying to hit you and stuff, don't fight them back as far as hitting them unless you don't have a, a, a any alternative because that's what they want you to do so that when the police come, they don't know who started it and it just looks like a brawl. But that's not what it is. It's yeah. specific tactics used to create chaos, societal chaos. Yeah, it, that thing with Sarah's uh, Huckabee uh, was she and her husband left the restaurant and went home. Her family went across the street to another restaurant, and that's where they went outside the restaurant and protested her family. And she, she turned around wow. and says, well, I, my husband and I, we don't want to cause any more problems or disturbances, so you guys go ahead and eat wherever you want. You know, Go out and enjoy yourself. We're going home so we won't attract this crowd. But instead, the crowd wow. went and still followed the rest of her family. That had nothing to do yeah. with her political thing. They just decided to physically and mentally intimidate people simply for thinking conservatively. And that is right. just not right. That is, that is just pure bigotry. That is, you're, you're being racially attacked because you're, you think to the right, because you think as a yes. Christian and you think as a conservative. So they've taken bigotry to the newest, highest level. And I think, it, like I said, it is backfiring, and this walkaway movement is picking up a lot of steam. Because here you have a gay man, in New York, and saying, hey, listen, even even the LBGT community is, is leaving us behind because I'm white and gay, and they're calling me privileged. Not just the fact that he's gay, but he's white and gay, so right. he's privileged. He's now right. one of those elitists. But, hey, wait a minute, he was one of you. He was a liberal. He thought the way you right. did, and he thought you thought the way he did. And now he gets attacked <laughs> when he goes in to buy a camera. He's denied service wow. because, oh, the guy at the counter in the camera store where he went to get a new camera and microphone and some other gear, who's giving him good money, green money? Money is money. It doesn't say Democrat or conservative on the money. So money's good wherever yeah. you spend it, but no. Because he started this walkaway movement. Oh, I saw you on TV. You're that bigoted Nazi. <laughs> He's a gay man. <laughs> really. It's amazing. Well, I, think, <laughs> I think what we have learned as we Republicans um, instead of just rolling over when they polarize, now we energize. And we yeah. we we speak our mind at the voting booth. <laughs> and that's where it counts. Curtis, you're absolutely right. And you remember um, the um, MLK's I Have a Dream speech where he says, I want to live in a country where my four little children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. character. The Solinsky the, the, the political left Democrat Socialist Party has flipped that. They said, we want an America that will be judged by the color of their skin and not the content of their character. So they've totally 
inverted and perverted Martin Luther King's uh, wonderful um, aphorism. Well, we've got our next guest. In, so, uh, Alice, if you want to stay in on the line, stay with us. Uh, I'm going to join in with our fan favorite, Dan Perkins. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you today? Good afternoon. Uh, um, there's a little storm here on the island, so you may hear thunder in the background. <laughs> All right. We'll understand if you drop out. <laughs> no problem. Because we've got, was it uh, Tropical Storm Chris coming through? So it's probably hitting you, and it'll probably hit Curtis next and me. But it looks like it's going to skip, right. of course. But yeah, so we're right now in the, the tropical storm season. But uh, Dan Perkins, you have songs and stories for uh, soldiers. Your website there. Uh, you also have uh, where you have your radio show and everything else. I've got a link. You know, I always put a link up on my show page to your website so people can check you out, get your books and everything else. Um, we were talking with Ellis Washington. That. He has. Uh, he's got the Ellis Washington Report. Uh, he is a professor of constitutional law, uh, so he's joining us. But I want your opinion on this SCOTUS pick that uh, Trump announced last night. I, I get Curtis and I had the same feeling, uh, some sort of a gut feeling that he's going to be more along the lines of uh, Judge Kennedy. He'll be more of a swing vote, as we've seen Kennedy do, not as conservative as we would have seen with Amy Barrett, uh, Amy Comey Barrett. Well, uh, that's, that's the, the question, really one of the big questions of today. Who is this person? And I look at it from the standpoint that he's, um, he's been on the bench a long time. He's got 300 briefs. Uh, so there's a lot of body of evidence about what he believes. Uh, there are probably very few people in the country at the moment who've read all 300 briefs. So um, uh, that, that remains to be seen. Um, I, um, I wrote a piece for constitution.com last week on the pick, not supposed, not the man or the woman, but about the, the pick. And I said that the Democrats have got it wrong. The Democrats are going to create a situation where they're going to shoot all of their ammunition. And I believe that Mr. Trump will have at least one more, possibly two, Supreme Court justices to a point. And for them to go to the wall that they've already come out, Schumer was quoted this afternoon after a conference with Senate Democrats that this judge is putting a dagger in the heart of all Americans who want affordable health care. Pretty pretty strong language but what I said last week was this one isn't the important one the important one is the next one to come because you've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg not in great health 83 years of age you've got one of the other liberal judges Sotomayor who's had some health issues recently and so it's possible that including this pick, Mr. Trump will add three judges to the Supreme Court in his term. And he may add three judges in the first term. So that the Democrats don't seem to understand that this pick on this judge 
and I don't, I'm not in any way demeaning him, is really irrelevant because he is replacing the, the Justice Kennedy, which was called a swing, vote, a swing judge. And he, in many issues, he voted with the left. In other issues, he voted with the right. However, in the last year, of the, 70, of the votes that were taken by the court, 75% of the time, he went with the conservative side. Now, whether this new judge is going to be the swing, I don't know. But I do know that it's going to be five to four. I have no doubt that no matter what rhetoric the Democrats want to throw out there, unless there's something in this man's history that we don't know about and didn't come up in the last time he was confirmed, uh, he's going to get confirmed. And he may get confirmed by more than 50 Republicans. There may be Democrats. There's, a, again, another misleading statement. Well, there are really only three states where there are three red states where there are three Democrats in jeopardy. It's not true. There are 10 states where Democrats are in jeopardy. And so th- this idea that we have to wait until after the midterm elections, which is a spinoff of Schumer saying, well, you decided last two years ago that you were not going to confirm Merritt Garland because you decided that the new president should select that and we should make an appointment in a presidential election year. Schumer immediately spun it this time saying, well, we should wait till after the midterms because you shouldn't have voted during the midterm. So the only time you can vote for a justice in the Supreme Court is only two out of the previous four years because you can't, you can't vote at a midterm and you can't vote at a presidential election. So uh, you can only take <laughs> votes on you – know, that's how stupid – the Democrats are as to their as to the as to their their policy. They are they are not in sync with the American people, and a lot has happened this week that has driven a much deeper wedge between the Democratic Party and Maine America. The idea that this woman in in New York won and defeated the fourth-ranking Democrat on a socialist agenda. We are not going to get rid of ISIS, no matter what she says or what other people say. The American people are not going to stand. And people in the Democratic Party or the Communist Party or the Socialist Party who run on a platform of getting rid of ISIS and opening the borders will get trashed. Because the American people are not interested in unregulated borders and getting rid of immigration, custom, and naturalization. They don't want to get rid of it. So those are non-starters for the Democrats, but that's all they've got. They are not – Nancy Pelosi is now saying she wants to take back the tax cuts because she wants to tax everybody more to make government bigger. When you start putting money in a person's pocket – that they earned as opposed to came from the government, they're going to be more defensive about protecting what's in their pocket that they earned than they are about what the government gave. So they, they are totally out of phase, and I've said this from the very beginning. I said that the Democrats will not take control of the House. They will, in fact, 
lose seats in the House, and they will lose seats in the Senate. And I think the majority of the Republican Party will increase in the November election, as will the increase in the Senate. I think the American people have discovered, because of the radical nature of the left and how absurd their practices are, they're not going to vote for them. Well, Alice, this is what we were discussing earlier, that you know the Democratic Party has gone so far to the left, and the antics these liberals have been pull- pulling has completely disenfranchised the majority of Americans. They don't see it as behaving as a civil American, as a good neighbor, as a good Christian or Buddhist or whatever you are. They don't see it as, as being someone that is tolerant and generous. Instead, we see an increase of intolerance. Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And I was um, I was looking at Breitbart.com, uh, and they had an article up, and it said the Hollywood elites reacted with pure anger and outrage Monday night as President Donald Trump announced Judge Brett Kavanaugh of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia as his nominee to replace the retiring Supreme Court justice. And then they go on to show their antics, just crazy statements that they're saying that uh, – uh, it's all tied to abortion. It's like, how can you have a political party? Set aside one's views for pro-life or pro-choice, but to the Democrats out there, just think about that. How could you align yourself with a political party where they are, they are so obsessive, so irrational surrounding one issue, that being infanticide? That, that should make you have pause to say, wow. If they would do that, if they would be so insane about this one issue, how can any of us be safe around these lunatics? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And so, like uh, uh, Mr. Perkins was talking about earlier, the Democrats are essentially digging their own grave, and I agree with them. They're not going to win the Senate. They're not going to win the House. In fact, they're going to lose seats in both houses of Congress, and that big red tidal wave that they have been uh, talking about for months and months, that's just uh, leftist propaganda. It's going to be, I'm sorry, big blue wave that they've been talking about. That's leftist propaganda. It's going to be a big red wave of uh, more seats in both houses of Congress that Trump will be able to have. And then he'll be able to maybe get the um, the woman, uh, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, to replace uh the ailing Ruth Bader Ginsburg for his next Supreme Court pick. But I agree also with Mr. Perkins that Trump will probably pick three justices in his first term, and God willing that he will run for a second term, he will win. I'm praying that he does. I heard that it was talk that he won't, but I think that was just Trump just being a showman. And then I think he'll be able to maybe have one more pick in his second term, maybe two, we'll see. Because um, maybe Justice Clarence Thomas, who's my intellectual mentor, might feel safe at that point that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm young enough to enjoy, try to enjoy a little bit of a life outside of the, the crucible. And um, I know Trump will pick a worthy replacement for my seat. So you, you just never know what, what's going to happen. Well, yeah, you know what, Dan me, uh, and Ellis? I was just going to say go – the Democrats are looking for Hillary to come back and save them in 2020. What do you think of that? I, I'll let Dan handle that in. one. I, I have to <laughs> jump in there because 
and I don't know whether we talked about it on your show, Annie, or not, but I want to say five months ago, I wrote a commentary says, and the title of the commentary, the ultimate victim will be the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party in 2020. And the yeah. ultimate victim is Hillary Clinton. And I yeah. got, you can't imagine the criticism that I got from people saying I was absolutely insane. It was almost as bad as the people, anyway. So I predicted months and months and months ago that she's going to run to become, and I gave only two exceptions of why she wouldn't run. She had a serious health issue, or she's wearing an orange jumpsuit. And this is, that orange jumpsuit is something that I still don't understand why the Attorney General has not reopened the investigation of the Clinton email or the Clinton Foundation. But let me get back to the justice, because I think this is an important lesson here. I, I was at a conference on Monday, and we were talking about who the appointment was and what was going to happen. I said, I don't know who it's going to be, but I can tell you he's, he or she's going to get hammered by the Democratic Party. And the people in the room were considerably left, and they were talking about Roe versus Wade. This judge, whoever it is, male or female, from the list of 25, was probably going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And this is, this is what I think your audience, Annie, needs to watch for. I don't know who – I know Grassley is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I can't speak to, and perhaps maybe our, a lawyer can, I can't speak to the protocol as to who gets to ask the first question of the prospective jurist. My guess is it would probably Chairman Grassley, and then next would be the ranking member, and so on. Yeah, but, right. That's going to really have foul. Okay. Now, so let's – I don't know who the ranking member is on the Judiciary Committee, but whoever that person is, the Democrat, I believe that he or she is going to ask the, the designee, would you vote to overturn Roe versus Wade? And his answer, his answer will be, it is inappropriate, and I believe that Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in her confirmation hearing that it would be inappropriate for a, a, a potential jurist to comment on any ideas or any laws or anything that would come before me to rule. Yeah. And he yeah. will repeat that time and time again. And when he does it the first time, whoever the Democrat is, is going to be outraged, which then I expect Grassley to say, my words not necessarily his, the senator from wherever. We have never had, nor should we ever have, a litmus test for the selection and the review process of a justice for the Supreme Court. Your question is out of order. Yes. And it's going to drive the Democrats nuts because no other Democrat will be able to ask the question because they know that when they ask the question, they're going to get the Ruth Bader Ginsburg answer. And, and ironically, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, much to my chagrin and the chagrin of 
many constitutionalist scholars out there. One were like 96, 97 to 3. And I'm like, where were the Republicans then? The ladies' mm-hmm. entire career was the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, founded by the, a communist, uh, have a whole career of defending espionage and rank treason at the lowest levels. And this woman with that kind of resume, one with almost unanimous support, it's just, it's just an outrage. But I agree with you, Dan, that uh, this it's going to, he's probably going to be coached. And I think uh, Senator Kyle is going to be um, his shepherd to walk him through, to meet all the right. people, all the senators. And I think they're going to give them, make make uh, Kavanaugh give them the Ruth Bader Ginsburg treatment. And uh, what will a Democrat be able to do but to just, you know, rage and throw their hands up in the air? Yeah, because the, if he uses that strategy, that it's inappropriate for me to opine on potential issues that would come before me on the court, and that's what Ruth Bader Ginsburg did, are they going to? Are they going to have a problem with her? No, they won't. They can't go after her because they want her to stay. And if they turn on her, uh, she may leave faster than she than she was anticipating. So I think it's a it's a perfect strategy to negate all of the crap that the Democrats are already throwing out. What's he going to do on Roe versus Wade? What's he going to do about health care? He's not going to say anything because it's inappropriate for him to say anything. Right, because the court well, you know, might, I think the hearings could be faster than most people think. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, because I think the, the quickest one was done was 63 days. And someone else, a sub-commentator last night uh, was saying, oh, it could take 183 days. And no, I don't think so. I think we'd do it faster. Um, right. It is, it's going to be interesting because with Amy Comey Barrett, when she was being interviewed by the Senate committee uh, for her district judge court seat, uh, they attacked her for being Roman Catholic. And, you know, I I sat down with my husband last night, shaking my head. And when Kavanaugh mentioned his Catholic faith, I says, watch, they're going to go after him for his Catholic faith. They're going to attack him for being Roman Catholic. But didn't they attack the Republicans for saying, we question whether or not John F. Kennedy, a Roman Catholic, would be more faithful to the Pope or to the Constitution? Right. If you, if if you, because I don't know if you're you were old enough to remember those debates, but I do vaguely remember Absolutely. hearing them as I was a kid. Uh, and they sure. tossed it around and tossed it around, and we were Roman Catholics. And as Catholics, we said, right. "Hey, listen, there's no litmus test. The Constitution says there is no religious litmus test. So why that senator, right. uh, what's her name, um, Camilla Harris, had asked that question and attacked." Judge uh, uh, Judge Barrett, and they're going to try this with Kavanaugh again. He should state plain and simple, sir. The Constitution has no litmus test for holding federal office. Why did you ask me that question? Because I mean, that's that's she was, those, back on the hot yeah, She was just grandstanding. That's all, Camilla Camilla Harris. She's in the running too for um, the candidate for you know Democratic you know nomination for president. So I think she's she has just two grandstanding. Chances. She has two chances. You know what they are? None and nil. None and nil. If, slim if, slim right. and none. <laughs> and by the way, well, Slim is out of town. Well, Hillary and isn't the same with, uh, 
you know, Camilla and then the, um, Obama, Obama wannabe, uh, what's his name, uh, Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker, New Jersey. Camilla and Cory Booker, they constantly, along with Maxine Waters, of course, are making just inane statements, and they don't realize. See, the thing about Trump, if pe- number one, people don't read his book, The Art of the Deal. It, he's telling you what he's going to do, and that's his whole thing. Right. When he tells you what he's going to do, like having a list of 25 Supreme Court justices, that's a trap to idiots because he knows what idiots are going to do. Like a moth to the flame, they're going to start attacking those people, and that's just going to make the other people, the pub, general public, maybe many of them not paying attention, say, hey, these people have been vetted by the Federalist Society. They're jurists of the highest order. They went to the top schools, Harvard, Yale, Cornell, Notre Dame. They've got a wonderful writing record. They're decent people. They have families. They coach Little League football. Come on, how are you going to attack these people? And they just plan right into Trump's hands. Uh, and, and you're right. They don't, they don't see it. They don't understand what they're doing is absolutely detrimental to them. And I believe that the, the potential for um, a surprise before the November election and I believe the surprise will be probably some significant capitulations by Kim in North Korea. And Mr. Trump will, in fact, be perceived as presidential, and he'll, he will travel the country telling people, I'm, and he's already said it, and I said he would, I said he would do it a year ago, that come the midterm yeah. elections – probably around February, March, he would start talking about give me more true Republicans. And, he, and I, I maybe missed it by a month, but that's what he's talking about. Yeah. I want more Republicans. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you've got money in your pocket, you remember where the money came from. And it came from the jobs. If you're black, you've got the lowest unemployment rate in many, many decades. If you're Hispanic, you've got the low unemployment if you're white, you've got low unemployment. The economy is growing probably somewhere between 4 and 5% for the second quarter. Unemployment is, is way down. People have money in their pocketbooks, and they know where the money came from. It came from the Republicans, and it came from the leadership of Mr. Trump. And that's all we have to do in the November election is ask the Ronald Reagan question, to the entire population of this country, look back and see if you are better off today than you were two years ago. If you are, vote Republican. That's yeah, all we it, have to it's say. It's going to be a pivotal. This this midterm election is a pivotal election, and it, how how it goes, the whole country will go. It will set the stage for the 2020 elections, and uh, the Democrats are frightened, and I think that's why they're so vocal and they're so violent. They are frightened because they know yeah. it is a red tidal wave coming. You know, I think people are going to start to uh, uh, borrow the uh, the Bama logo, Crimson Tide. You know, because it's going to be that <laughs> huge. Well, you know what, Andy? I, I think it's I think it's smart that Trump is um, doing all these rallies because that keeps his base energized. Um, no question. I, and I think that he's smart 
by having something uh, positive going on every week almost. It's almost the reverse of what Obama was doing when there was a crisis seemingly, you know, seemingly every week. Well, with Trump, there's progress almost you know, every other week. But I think um, what will really drive the left batty if we work out things with North Korea and Trump gets a Nobel Peace Prize, I think they will yes. just lose it. Now, I will, I will tell it to you. I think I mentioned this to Annie. About the same time when I was making the prediction about Hillary, I made another prediction. And I said, if Mr. Trump gets invited to North Korea by Kim, he will ultimately win the Nobel Peace Prize. I was ridiculed. I was on China Global Network Television, 117 countries, 70 million viewers, when I, when I set, made that prediction. And one of the panelists laughed at what I said, and I had to make a split decision. Was I going to let it pass, or was I going to say something? Well, you can guess I didn't let it pass. And I said to the <laughs> no. other reporter, I said, sir, excuse me. I made no snide remarks or any criticism about what you said you think. I believe I'm entitled to the same respect for the opinions that I have. Very quiet. And then he apologized. So I was out in front on Hillary and out in front on Donald Trump on the on the Nobel Peace Prize long before anybody else was talking about it. And I took an enormous amount of ridicule on, on both of those. And I may be right on both. Um, and, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm listening to the people talking about now the, bright, or the, uh, the drudge story over the weekend that Hillary may be running. And I said, I, you know, I said to my wife, does that look familiar to you? She says, you, what was that, four or five months ago you talked about that? I said, yes. And I said at the time in the story, Annie, when I wrote it, I said, look for her to step up her campaign, campaign financing, and if you want to find out for sure if she's a serious candidate, look at the end of the second quarter financial report for the Clinton Foundation to see if, if contributions are increasing. I'm waiting for that report. Yeah, probably won't be out until August. There was, there was, there was some some stuff I saw going around the internet that she was talking about how well her PAC is doing and how well the Clinton mm-hmm. Foundation is doing. So she's been doing the speaking tour, and just recently, uh, yesterday, this was written by Laura Loomer, uh, that they were spotted on a commercial airline, Delta Airlines. Her and Bubba were flying. Oh, and of course they Together. would not talk to all the deplorable, the deplorable uh, passengers around them. How dare they? Uh, but what caught the, uh, Laura Loomer's eye was the fact that they were reading a book uh, about a uh, called Crimson Lake. It was about a sexual assault and abduction of an underage girl. The last thing Bubba wants to be holding on his lap is that book, which he was which is where it was, <laughs> and reading that book with all the allegations he had going around. Uh, I mean, this right. was a photo op, yes, and they posed for uh, selfies in the airport terminal, and he posed with a young 
boy to take a selfie with the boy. So it, it, they are seen flying together on a commercial airline, trying to look like everyday man. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it begs the answer: Is it the start of the campaign for her, or are they so financially strapped that maybe their assets are, are being frozen at this point? I don't think the assets are being frozen. I think it's the start of her campaign. No. I agree. I, I've said it all along. And as I said earlier in the show, the only two things that can stop her is she has a serious health issue or she gets an orange jumpsuit. And, you know, um, I'll, go out on the lim- I'll go out on a limb here and say that I think that what we may see after the midterm elections, if what happens, I think is going to happen, is that the Republicans retain and expand the House, and they retain and expand the Senate. I would look for two events to happen. Jeff Sessions to resign or retire, and a new attorney general being appointed with an instruction from Donald Trump to reopen the investigation in the Clinton email and the Clinton Foundation. And, and I hope that person why he, is uh, why he, Pardon? I'm sorry. I, was was that I hope that person is Andrew McCarthy of uh, the National Review. He's an excellent prosecutor and a bulldog. Yes. Right. So what, what I think is going to – the reason why I think it's going to happen that way is that if he solidifies his base, and he knows he's going to go into 2020 with the, with the nomination and probably going to win. He does two things. He throws the Democratic Party into turmoil because there is nobody right now that has a higher profile in the Democratic Party than Hillary Clinton, number one. Number two, he pays back the Obama administration and, and Barack Obama for his humiliation of Donald Trump at the press corps, Washington press corps dinner a number of years ago while Donald Trump was Oh, I remember world. that. Yes. Yeah. And so I think, I think, I'm not saying that President Trump is vindictive, but he'll get his pound of flesh, and it could be Hillary's from her wide butt flesh. Hook. Oh, wow. <laughs> we hope so. But you know what I'm, I'm going to see, what we're probably going to see the closer we get to the election, and this was in World Net Daily, that the left has been promising. This was an anonymous post that was put up uh, on the Internet where they're threatening to ramp up the violence that we saw, if you remember, in the 70s, where there was a bombing, just several bombings every week. They're threatening that yeah. type of violence to intimidate conservatives and Republicans and anyone that has any family member. So I'm afraid that we're going to see, I call them the black shirts. Because when I look at these guys as they in mass, the pictures of the rioting and everything, the looting, uh, remind me of the Nazi brown shirts. It is Nazism yeah. at, at its worst within the Democratic Party. You're, you're absolutely I right. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say just briefly, 
these tactics, these Saul Alinsky tactics, they do have uh, a, a fascism element to it, and fascism always tries to bully, to intimidate, to rule through uh, a spirit of fear. But we've come too far now to turn back. There's too many people that are woke, and like you were talking about, Annie, that that hashtag, no turning back, I believe. And there's another hashtag that I've been using. I've sent over 11,000 of them with uh, my uh, larger article about Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who I consider like one of the founding fathers of this progressive socialist jurisprudence 100 years ago. And I ended my tweet. I think I sent it to you, Annie, with the hashtag red pill black. You might remember the movie The Matrix, where uh, the first one where Morpheus is talking to Neo and he's trying to get him to come over to his side and tell him that everything that you believe, everything they told you was a lie. That's really what we're living through now. And people are realizing, man, everything they taught me in the public schools in history, in religion, and philosophy, it's all been a lie. And so people are getting red pill. Red pill takes you from the fantasy world of the matrix into the reality world where you could fight the matrix and these uh, demonic robots that were trying to control humanity. Okay, that's all I have to say. Well, I, th- I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I'm concerned about the violence too because I'm concerned that there will be, if it happens, it will solidify the right and demoralize the left because there will be people on the left who will be against it and it will call another fracture within the Democratic Party. Well, the yeah. Democratic Party is is fracturing now, as you see with the start of mm-hmm. this, with uh, uh, Barton, uh, uh, Brandon Stark has started with the walk away, hashtag walk away. And as I mentioned earlier, I watched his video, and then one after another after another popped up of additional people making walkaway videos. And it is going right. viral. And the Democrats, the real Democrats, not the liberal progressive ones, but those that are moderate, the blue dog Democrats, uh, as we used to call them under Reagan, are waking up. Mm-hmm. And so this is not the party of my dad. This is not the party of Harry Truman. It's time to walk away. Come to the light. Right. See the light. <laughs> right. Uh, but but I, I, I think there's a there's I agree with you, but there's another issue that is not yet being talked about, but may need to be. What we may be experiencing more than anything else is the unwinding of forty years of democratic control. Whether they were in power or not the Republicans capitulated by and large to whatever the Democrats wanted to do. They had no backbone. Mr. Trump has come in and changed the paradigm. He's challenged the issues. He's not doing what the re- Democrats want him to do, like the other, de- other Republicans, the two Bushes, did. He is not doing those things. And so he is much more aggressive. He is much more in their faces, with his tweets and everything else. And what what the Democrats are beginning to realize is that all this that they worked for for the last four decades may be unwound because one more Supreme Court justice 
That's the ball game. Seven to two. Seven to two. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now, uh, Alice, you've talked about this in in your in your writings and a lot of the stuff you sent me. Is Dan? We have to do this too. We have to take back our universities, our colleges, the higher uh, levels of learning. Mm-hmm. Bring back free thought and free speech to our those campuses. And this is something I know, Dan, that you're, you've been talking to me about. And, Ellis, you write extensively about that. Um, you sent that letter. Oh, I had it over here on top, and now I've moved it to the bottom, to uh, Prof- Professor Tracy Mears uh, about that very, very issue, You know, saying open it back up so that those that have a political uh, stance of a conservatism or Christianity, allow them back onto the campuses to freely teach. Stop indoctrinating our children. Uh, I'll let Ellis go first, then Dan, I want you to respond to that. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you very much, Annie, for mentioning that that, uh, that tweet that I sent you, along with the, uh, the, the, the addendum document that I wrote to, I addressed it to Professor Tracy Mears, who's a professor at Yale Law School, because it's funny how things, as they say, the more things stay the same, the more, the more things change, the more things stay the same. 22 years ago, I was uh, freshly out of law school, and I was living in uh, Chicago. And I remember I was uh, I was a clerk for the Seventh Circuit Court of, of Appeals, where Judge Posner, one of my intellectual mentors, was. And I met this nice black woman, who said to uh, I told her about my interest. I would love to teach. She said, "Well, I know a very good friend of mine who's a teacher at the University of Chicago Law School, and it was Tracy Mayer." And I reached out to her and three times and nothing, just silent, no response at all. And I was like, man, what's going on? And then there was another uh, person that I reached out to. You might have heard of him, a young Barack Obama, who was teaching at the University of Chicago. So you see how things come full circle. And so I was reaching out to these people, nothing. So we're talking for 20, 25, 30, 35 years, reaching out to the uh, to Various judges, professors say, "Hey, I'm a conservative. I publish things. Some of my writings are in the Chambers Library of the Supreme Court. Why can't I get a position teaching at the university, teaching in the law school, teaching in graduate school?" Silent. That's all I got for the most part. Every now and then I get a little snide remark, or somebody would act like they were going to help me. Only I would find out later when they tried to help me, they were transferred to another institution, had one Harvard dean. I think he was actually trying to help me. Next thing I know, he's uh, sent from Harvard to uh, Yeshua University. Uh, and you're from New York. Is there a school called Ye- uh, Yeshua or something like that? And, uh, in Yeshiva. New York? Yeshiva University? Yeshiva. Thank yeah, you, Yeshiva. Thank you. Yeshiva. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> How did that happen? So I was like, man, that, it's just amazing. But Annie, my whole point for sending you that, and um, like I say, feel free to post it if you if you want that addendum, is to show every uh, black person. Like I said, I'm from the ghetto of Detroit, but I worked my way, pulling myself up by the bootstraps, and just working really hard to publish 11 books, 30 law review articles that's peer, all peer reviewed, and over 3,000 uh, uh, published essays. And uh, I did that without any uh, mentorship or help from any of these elitists at these Ivy League schools. I even made the law review before two years before I even got to law school. I did it not because I'm so smart, but because God was with me. 
and I think he 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 wanted me to have this kind of unusual um, background to show these elitists in their ivory towers that their time is is running out. And I sounded like an idiot for thirty three of those thirty five years. But two years ago on November eighth, two thousand sixteen, we the people picked Donald Trump to be the 45th president of the United States. And now he's making moves, and he's going to have a lot more moves to make. And mark my words, I'm going to say this first on your show, Annie, that Marxist monopoly that the leftist academic Gestapo have enjoyed for 100-plus years (laughs) is going to come crashing down on their heads. And all of those multi-billion-dollar endowments that Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cornell, University of Chicago, Northwestern, University of Michigan, on and on and on, Stanford, all the rest of them, they're going to have to dig deep in those endowments to just to survive. And you're going to see a lot of them going out of business or shrinking their faculty by 40, 50, 60, 70%. It's going to be a beautiful sight. You heard it first on and Southern Sense Radio Show, ladies and gentlemen. Let me ask you a question, if I could, to 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 clarify a point. Yes. So, I have I have seen several pieces of commentary about American law schools. Yeah. And the common thread that I've been reading, which I find shocking, is that the the majority of the law schools in the United States no longer require law students to read the Constitution. Yes, that, that is a growing trend. They try to keep it under covers, but yes, that's exactly what it is. And it starts at the top. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Elena Kagan, who was the former uh, dean of the law, of Harvard Law School, when you read their writings, they're really not citing the United States Constitution. They couldn't because they're deconstructing the Constitution. They're deconstructing originalism, textualism, the black letter text of the Constitution. And so it starts a fish rots from the head down, and it's trickling down to the law schools where they're not teaching the Constitution. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, Dan. They're certainly not teaching the original intent of the constitutional framers that our founding fathers used uh, to build Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all these other schools, they started off as seminaries, as teaching the gospel back in the 1600s, the 1700s. And the left, over time, under the, the doctrine of Charles Darwin and naturalism and atheism and humanism, has turned these Christian citadels into hellish temples of uh, Marxism and group thing. It's really a shame. But you asked a very important question. Now there's some people some people who believe that one of the fundamental changes we have to make in our education system at all levels of education is that we have to start teaching civics again. Because yeah. the American the American people, my generation we had it in school, but it hasn't been taught in school for decades. And so yeah. people do not understand the Constitution. Nobody talks about the Constitution, the rule of law, all of those factors, the government, how the government functions. 
We're not edu- we're not educating young people on how our country was founded and how it functions and how our laws work. And there are some people who think that we need to get back to teaching civics again. That well, Dan, that would be very important. There's something to boil you here, because here in the state of South Carolina, we passed legislation. It was first for those uh, institutes of higher learning, colleges and universities, that the founding documents must be taught. And the secondary legislation was passed now to include high schools. So when kids get to high school here in the state of South Carolina, the founding documents must be taught on high school as well as college levels. That's what we need. We need the states to, to evoke their state rights and pass legislations across all 50 states. I thought it was that's so that you talked about the you found that the the talked about the founding documents. I wrote a piece uh, still waiting to be published, but I wrote a piece late last week on the Texas newspaper, small town newspaper, that on their Facebook page decided over the Fourth of July period to print excerpts of the Declaration of Independence. Facebook rated it as hate speech and shut it down. Yeah, I heard really? about that. Shut di- yes, shut it down. And later, after a significant outcry, uh, reinstated the page with suggestions. Now think about this. Suggestions of how the Declaration of Independence could be rewritten to be less hate speech oriented. And then they went on one step further and said that we needed to investigate uh, why this mistake was made. Now, further research has come to find out since I've been, my personally, I've been banned from Facebook. My books cannot be sold through Facebook anymore. What I found was that Facebook is saying is that we don't really use people to review. We have these algorithms, and mm-hmm. the algorithms are, to, are trained to look for certain words which they have determined, Facebook has determined, are racial, homosexual, or sexual orientation, or race, or hate speech. And therefore, when the computer sees that word in the context of something, they Im- immediately label it. Now, I thought it was fascinating before this all happened. Rush Limbaugh brought out a new app for his show. And the first day it was put out on the Internet, Facebook said, hate speech. Really? So, yes. So we have we have artificial intelligence who is reading what we write and determining whether or not you have the right to say it, and in what context you can say it. And I think that is a very serious problem that we have computers deciding and. Computers who say we should rewrite history because the words that were used at the time the document was written in today's context would be 
perceived to be hate speech. So we have to go back and recorrect history to reflect our value system of today. I think that's fundamentally wrong because if we eradicate where we came from, which helped define us as a nation and a people, how are we ever going to know where we're going? Well, I will say this much, Dan. I will say this much. I feel confident that any such legal challenges in the future under the Supreme Court that we are forming right now with, you know, um, judges who are, you know, constitutionalists, I feel confident we can win these arguments and um, and and bring down such things like this Facebook um, algorithm, you know, because somebody's going to challenge it eventually. And if it goes through the court system, I feel I feel good now that we have a chance of defeating this. I think it's I think it's frightening the idea that uh, my my greatest disappointment, Annie, is that. I, I was getting very good response to my children's book on dementia. And now it's banned. Right. I can't market it. Can't market it through Facebook. And the practical reality is there is no alternative to me because there is no alternative to Facebook as far as social media. Not Twitter, not Snapchat. None of this stuff has the power that Facebook has. So I've been shut out of the ability to tell my story and have my books published and made available through Facebook. They refused to do it. And I think that's wrong. That's too much power concentrated in one place. And as we did when we broke up the trust, the oil trust, and we broke up AT&T, and we said this is antitrust, I think we have to look very hard at breaking up Facebook because of its its operating in a, in an antitrust way. It's that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing because I'm looking right now on my local newspaper because I know on July 4th they po- posted the entire Declaration of Independence, but it was in um, in the editorial page. I'm just looking to see if they went and posted it up onto. Facebook. If they put it on, I don't see it if posted. they put it on Facebook, if it's not on Facebook, then they, then they, they were fine. But this newspaper had a, a Facebook page, and they couldn't put the whole thing in at one time, so they put it in pieces as a Declaration of Independence, and Facebook destroyed it. Something fundamentally wrong. Wow. So when I said to you a few moments ago that we're talking about the unwinding of 40 years of democratic rule, that's what's really happening. We're, we are marching towards the elimination of political correctness. And we're marching towards a freer but more secure country and safer country. And I believe that. Is trying to. Mm-hmm. I do too. I believe that. Yeah, because I'm looking at the... And they don't have anything in here about the Declaration of Independence on their page. It's interesting. That's very, very Annie. interesting. Wow. Annie. Yes, Alice. Annie, I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to have to bow out. But it's been a pleasure talking to you. And please invite me back anytime, okay? And 
your guests, uh, Mr. Dan Perkins and Curtis. It's a pleasure to meet you all. I really enjoyed the conversation. Exceeding. Oh, yeah. Thank I'll, you. I'll shoot you a link to the show. So can, I'll shoot you a link to the show. That way you can put it up on your uh, Ellis, uh, uh, ellisbarshamreport.com. Thank you so much, Annie, and please right, stay in touch. Okay. I bye will, bye. Ellis. God bless. All right. Thank you. Well, I'm looking at the clock. Just realized we're down to our last seven and a half minutes. Holy cow, the show has just flown past. You know, um, Dan, how are you doing with your uh, songs and stories for soldiers? How's that going? Doing well. Um, um, we are now over 110 facilities, over 15,000 players. We've added uh, uh, two new ministries to our program. Um, there's an organization uh, called Honor Flight, which takes World War II, Korean, and Vietnam veterans to Washington, D.C. with a sponsor, a guardian, uh, to visit the, the, the memorials for their combat and it's called honor flight and there are chapters all over the country we have one here in, in fort myers and we we took on um uh the responsibility of of delivering our mp3 players to every veteran who went on the flight and then we just did three weeks ago honor flight in in uh, st petersburg clearwater and we have two more flights in september and october and we're trying to get involved with more honor flights around the state of Florida uh, to say thank you to these veterans. And um, the second thing that we're working with is, is in hospice care. Uh, we find that the reaction that we're getting in Dallas, Atlanta, and Chillicothe, Ohio, where we're using the MP3 system uh, for songs and stories uh, in the in the hospice units in these various hospitals that the soldiers uh, are enjoying the, um, the eight hour sleep audio that it gives them some peace of mind. And so we're looking to expand that here in Fort Myers uh, with a organization called Hope House, which last year treated over 2000 American veterans in hospice care wow. in their facilities in Fort Myers. And we're trying to get more and more people involved in that ministry. And um, so uh, I just did a, a presentation at the state convention for the Florida Division of the uh, Military Officers Association of America. I'm going over to do Texas and up to do Georgia uh, in late this fall and early spring. And um, we, uh, we just got an order for 200 players for the big Dallas VA hospital, which has been a long standing participant in our program. And uh, to the extent that your, any of your listeners can help us help defray the cost of the MP3 players, you can go to songs and stories for soldiers. Us. There's a big donate button in the middle of the screen. And for 10 bucks, we can, uh, we can send an MP3 player to a soldier. So any help would be greatly appreciated. Well, any help we can do, send over your way. I'm happy to do it. Matter of fact, I did send over a couple of musicians to you, and I hope they hooked up with you and got some uh, some tunes over to you also. Uh, one of them was our friend Dave Bray. So hopefully he, you two did get together on that one. But, Dan, I want to thank we, you for joining us. It has been fascinating having you and Ellis on at the same time. I just sat back and just let the two of you interview each other. <laughs> it was fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real attorney, and I'm a practicing attorney. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Dan, there's a link to your page up in the show, uh, so people as they listen to podcasts can click on it and go to all the other links you have for the songs and stories as well as your books and everything else. So hopefully, if they're listening to the show, they'll go to that link and get one of your books. So I, I, I want to you. thank you for I being with it. us. Thank you, dear. All right, check out Dan Perkins. Oh, God bless. Check out Dan Perkins, the link that's up on the show page. Click on that and go to his website to participate in his articles, his radio show. Uh, I think he's got a TV show up there now also, his books and all the other stuff he does. So check him out. We've got great guests coming up uh, on Friday. Um, Edison Walters is running for a District 22 seat in Florida. Uh, We had... um, Nicholas Kazaz on, Kaimaz on before. Uh, the two of them are running for the primary, for the Republican primary, along with, uh, I think there's two others running there too. He'll be joining us. Le- uh, Eric Pratt, son of Larry Pratt. Larry Pratt was the um, uh, chair of Gun Owners of America. He handed over that seat to his son, Eric Pratt. He'll be joining us also on Friday. And then next Tuesday, we have Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch. He'll be joining us. And the following Friday, we have your friend, Larry Harvey, returning, Curtis. So we've got some great guests lined up, and uh, I hope everyone will be with us again on Friday, same bat time, same bat station. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and tell the liberals to take a chill pill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And for those that have been asking about Sue, Sue is in a better facility right now. She's on the road to recovery. She thanks you for all your kind thoughts and prayers, but keep them coming. She can use every last one of them. God bless you. So I'll leave you with our closing song, uh, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.